On this episode of The Patriot Pod, I am speaking with Dr. Anjali Tripathi. She is a class of 2005 from Viewpoint. She has a PhD in astrophysics. She currently works at NASA, and we have a fascinating and wonderful discussion that covers so much about what she's learning and what she hopes to learn from space and the exoplanets she is discovering. And then we tie it back to her time here at school, during her time at college, her time as a White House fellow, and then a little things what we can do here on Earth to take care of our beautiful planet. Yeah, so I am NASA's Exoplanet Exploration Science Ambassador is one of my roles. And so in that role, I help communicate the science of this evolving field of research, exoplanets, right? The field where around pretty much every star we know of, there are planets and all of these ones are outside of our solar system. They're extrasolar. So we call them extrasolar planets or exoplanets for short. So I do a lot of media um, and different outreach school visits, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's what I do as NASA's exoplanet science ambassador. Um, I also help design new missions. I'm working on a couple of new telescopes. So people are really familiar with the James Webb Space Telescope. I'm working on two that are coming up in the future, one little one and one really big one, the one that will be two successors to James Webb from now. Um, and then I also, because I am really committed to climate and policy, I do work on some sea level rise research. Um, as well as helping with strategic planning and legislative affairs. Wow, definitely <laughs> a full plate. <laughs> and well, like I remind people that science connects to everything, right? So it's not just that you're in a lab and nobody sees you. It's that it's affecting your life with climate change and, you know, what you dream about and how it makes your day easier, like the technology that gets into it. So it's kind of fun. For sure. And um. I definitely want to circle back to the exoplanets and the telescopes in a little bit, but I'd like to take it back to when you were younger, um, even before Viewpoint, but also at Viewpoint, you know, for, for any of the students who will listen to this, do you, did you have any hobbies that fed the interest that you currently, you know, explore now, or is this something that kind of developed as you went through school and thought, oh, I think, I think space is pretty cool. Probably, though, one of my favorite classes in high school was AP European History with Miss Doherty. And as someone who, you know, remembers walking into the West Wing and seeing a guy who didn't have a badge and thinking everyone should have a badge and realizing, oh, you're Tony Blair. Okay, yeah, I guess you don't need a badge. Um, and Name so is your badge, yes. <laughs> right. um, so, and, you know, I'm currently the chair um, of a committee for the British government for the foreign office. So everything that I learned in my comparative government, European history, it's all going to work. And so um, I loved that challenge of her class and how she led that. So, so I confess, I've never dreamed of being an astronaut. I'm scared of roller coasters. Um, so that has not been my path into astronomy. For me, when I was at Viewpoint, one of these pivotal life moments came when I was in eighth grade in physical sciences and we went to the science fair. And I was reflecting on that this week because I was actually a judge at the LA County Science Fair. And so it was coming full circle more than 20 years later of being able to you know, reach out to mentors, to talk to real scientists doing something and coming up with these questions and trying to explore it from start to finish. That 
um, with the guidance of an amazing teacher, Luis Garcia, um, it made all the difference. And so for me, you know, I don't know there's a single hobby uh, that's contributed to where I've ended up. I think it's a lifetime of being curious that has been the driving factor here. And I think finding ways to apply that curiosity and sense of experimentation and exploration was a perfect match to the opportunities at Viewpoint through the science fair. You know, in middle school, I was in middle and high school, I was in the astronomy club. And you would say, oh, everything was very STEM focused. But at the same time, I was in Model UN. I ended up as editor in chief of the literary magazine. I was in junior state of America. So I think having the ability to explore that curiosity in all its dimensions is what's led me to similarly have a very broad professional trajectory. Yeah. So with those hobbies and the interests of, you know, you're just general curiosity, out of Viewpoint, you went to MIT? So I was at Viewpoint from seventh to 12th grade, and then I went to MIT for my bachelor's. So I studied physics there, but I also, again, because I was so interested in everything, did a minor in international relations. Um, and then after that, I went to the UK. I went to Cambridge University and got my master's also in astronomy. Then I came back to the U.S. and thought, I'll do more school. So I did my Ph.D. in astrophysics at Harvard. Amazing. Well, it's proof to your curiosity, always wanting to learn. <laughs> so I, that's great. Uh, and then how did you end up at NASA? What was that path? So actually, I had the benefit of being an intern at NASA in high school. So oh. I mentioned the opportunities at Viewpoint with the science fair and clubs and the great teachers. But the other, I think, formative part um, of that research background was I spent a summer interning at Caltech after 10th grade. Um, and after 11th and 12th grade, I actually interned at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory or JPL, which is out in Pasadena, which is where I now work. So it means that as a high schooler, I was working on Spirit and Opportunity rovers like right when they got to Mars, which was very um, unique and just thrilling and a wonderful opportunity. And so coming back, you know, almost 20 years later, it um, was sort of a bit of a homecoming. Um, but I actually got a call from JPL uh, from the director's office a few years ago to say, we need somebody to lead new climate programs. And we understand from your background in the White House and your technical background that you might be a good fit. And so they created this role for me. And um, that's how I got back here. That's so cool. So <laughs> I know you're more or less local. Um, we have, we've had a few connections to JPL, whether they're current parents or um, other alums, um, which I think is really cool that um, you're back here despite being abroad <laughs> for a little bit and, and back east a little bit. Uh, and you were mentioning about the telescopes and how you're working on the two uh, versions that will follow James Webb, which by the way, those images that are coming from those telescopes, even, you know, Hubble, the, you know, and Cassini, and they all produce such amazing uh, images and, and bring back such great, fascinating information. There was recently the discovery of the other planet, um, TOI, correct? It's the other planet that's similar to ours in another habitable zone. Um, of all the, you know, you, you've worked on the rovers, what is currently really exciting you about what's happening in space 
separate from what we can do, you know, as it relates to Earth, but what's what's currently exciting you about what's going on in outer space? There's so much to be excited about um, in space. I think one of the really exciting things is that more people can get to space. And I don't mean everyone is riding up into space and looking back at planet Earth, although I am really excited that I have now two friends who are selected as astronauts. Um, and I never thought, that, <laughs> you know, fellow physics PhDs would be astronauts. So anybody can do it if you work hard enough. Um, but, you know, I'm, of course, really biased because as the exoplanet ambassador, I think that's very exciting. And it's because right now we can find planets. Um, we found over 5,000 planets to date. So when I was a kid, there were nine planets. Then poor Pluto got demoted and we went to eight. Um, and then it went to, you know, dozens and a few hundred and now over 5,000. And it's no longer exciting just to discover a planet for most scientists. But that's not the case. The reason it's not that exciting is you don't know anything about them other than there's a planet there. It's like looking at a map and saying, oh, I think there's a country somewhere. But of course, you want to go there. You want to, you know, see what it looks like. You want to eat their food, meet the people. And so the future of a lot of our work and part of what I'm doing on working on the Habitable Worlds Observatory is how do we actually find 25 planets that are like Earth, that they are about the size of Earth, they're in the habitable zone, which means that, you know, water is liquid. It's not so cold because it's far from the star that it's icy and it's not so close to the sun that it's baking and all that water is evaporating and, you know, steamy. So for me, the fact that we are getting closer to this question of are we alone, right, in the search for life in the universe, both by looking in our backyard of the solar system with moons of Saturn and Jupiter, where, you know, there might be oceans under these thick crusts of ice. Um, so, you know, that's one place we can look, but also that we can go and find these planets that are far, they're away, um, but still close enough that we can actually, you know, imagine taking a picture of an exoplanet and seeing the continents and oceans, and that'll happen in a couple decades. So for me, that's just really exciting. And, you know, discoveries like with the test spacecraft, you mentioned um, a TOI planet, um, you know, we are increasingly finding planets every day and every time we're like, oh, it's a little bit closer to earth, but still we can't see all of the details. So I just, I want to see the beautiful pictures. Your excitement gets me excited. Is that part of what you are doing with these telescopes that are coming is trying to get better, clearer, deeper, more detailed images of these, you know, unknown, like we know about all these planets, but just like you said, really trying to zoom in on them and, and get a clearer picture of them. Is that, is that what's a lot of driving your, your work and your passion towards the work you're doing with the telescopes coming? I would say that one of the areas that we're trying to focus on with the telescopes is taking these pictures of these planets in exquisite detail. And that's because most of the ways that we find planets are by looking at signs in their stars. Mm -hmm. So it's like saying to someone have kids, well, you might come to their house, you might see, you know, indication of toys, 
you might hear them saying something about school. You have all of these things, but actually what we're trying to do is come in and like see the family, right? See what they look like, Um, you know, oh, that that looks like a kid, right? Maybe they're this old, maybe they're, you know, interested in these things, trying to meet them directly. And so taking these pictures of planets through this technique called direct imaging is something that you can imagine a planet is not like a star that shines. It's dark. It's very hard to see. So you short of going all the way up to the planet, you need really good technology to um, to get there. And so part of my interest in all of this is this goal of finding uh, worlds like our own, but also, you know, part of the bigger enterprise of space, of how it connects to all parts of our lives. So I came back to JPL because I was really interested in how we can use space to serve society. Because there's so much you can learn about climate change, how the oceans are rising, how things are getting warmer, um, that you know you don't have people on the snowpack in Antarctica every day, but a satellite can see that all the time. And the same satellite can also then, that technology can tell you about the mountains on Venus or you know, what these continents on exoplanets look like, hopefully in the future. And so it's all coming together of pushing one front forward advances the others as well. I mean, it's all just amazing. And then you're right, how we can tie it back and learn about just our earth and keeping it healthy and taken care of by learning what's outside and beyond our earth and solar system. Bringing it back to Women's History Month, we have amazing women here at Viewpoint. There's amazing women at NASA, JPL, you know, historically from, you know, Dorothy Vaughn and Katherine Johnson and Mary Jackson and Mae Jemison and Margaret Hamilton and Katherine Koch and all these wonderful people who have been a part of NASA and its history. And then all of our viewpoint educators here, our families, our alums who are just every amazing. What women in your past or present whether you know them or whether just historical figures, what women inspire you? I have to say that I have not had the privilege of having a ton of female um, physics mentors, for example, because the field is so small, right? This is one of the reasons why diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility have been a really big push for me in my career and a lot of the work that I do. That said, um, a mentor who has been very dear to me Um, Her name is Kim Bernard, and she is a dean at MIT, uh, is someone who had confidence in me when I didn't have confidence in myself. And so she's actually the person when I, you know, as a junior in college, went up to her and said, I think you can tell me something about going to Cambridge and how I might fund that said, oh, you should apply for, you know, the Rhodes and the Marshall and the Fulbright. And I said, I'm not that smart. Um, And yet she she was right. Uh, She helped me win that Marshall scholarship. She's also the same person who told me there's this job at the White House. I think you would be perfect. And even though I was 20 years younger than everybody else. I said, okay, well, Kim told me to do that, so I will put faith in her. Um, And she was right. And so having people like Kim, um, you know, if you go to MIT, you have the benefit of having her there to work with directly, but having people like that in your life, and I certainly try to pay that forward in my mentoring of students, is really important. And I think especially for underrepresented minorities, having someone who can sort of see what you can't see and make things seem a little easier and and more tractable is, I think, the most salient (laughs) 
uh, representative I can think of for Women's History Month, but it's not a specific name in, you know, NASA history. I just, I think how wonderful and how fortunate for those around you to have you being able to pay it forward and had cared so much that it was given to you and how much you benefited from that, how you still recognize that. And then again, like I said, you're, you're able to mentor and just offer time and education and, and just, just your, the value of your knowledge to them. Two more questions as a physicist, right? As a, like, who, who do you collaborate with the most or is there just a groups, a set of people or department that you collaborate with? I have the benefit of working with a really broad range of people because my role is so multifaceted. So I work a lot with uh, the engineering teams because of course, if you have a science dream of, I want to see this thing, but it's not possible that that'll fit in a rocket. It turns out a lot of times what you want to do doesn't fit in a rocket. It's too heavy. It's too big. Um, having someone who has those parameters, which our engineering teams do, can be great to literally keep you grounded uh, here on Earth. But beyond that, I would say I most enjoy, though, actually working with the media audiences um, and the broader community because I do a lot of consulting for movies of how do they get the science right. And it's not necessarily science for outer space films, although I do do that too, but there are certain films that are coming up and I wish I could tell you what they were, but of course, non-disclosure agreements won't allow for that. Um, but major motion pictures where they're trying to think about how do we incorporate climate change? Mm -hmm. How do we tell some of these stories? And for me, that's really meaningful because when I explain my science to others, it helps me understand it better, but also there aren't going to be, you know, a billion people ever watching my TED talk, but there might be a billion people watching some of these films, right? And the opportunity to connect with people is not only fun, but I find it really meaningful to actually connect into people's lives and that they can see science in the world around them. If I'm being really honest, by the way, my dream career for a long time was to be a science correspondent on The Daily Show because oh. I thought, you know, Reaching people in their homes in different ways um, is really preaching, uh, not just to the choir, but to the broader community. No, I think it's really <laughs> how you're leveraging the idea of different audiences and how, you know, how far you can cast your net with those audiences um, to really kind of share that education and the knowledge and just the interest really and get people excited about different things. What would you share with people? What's one thing? Is there one thing we can do that's small or big as an individual or as a group of people that we can do just to help help our planet that we're currently on so we can continue staying on this planet to continue exploring exoplanets. It's true that there is no planet B. Um, I was asked to go to Coachella last year and I'm going back in a couple of weeks to talk about this very point that there is no planet B. So we have to take good care of where we are now. And so there is no silver bullet. I think a lot of people are waiting for this magical technology that will make carbon dioxide go away and all of the electricity to be clean. But you can do everything from take a shorter shower, you know, compost your organic materials. All of these little things really add up in the same way with your health, right? There is no silver bullet. You can't just take a pill and stay healthy. You have to exercise. You have to eat well. And so I think it's the same thing. So unfortunately, there is no, you know, magic <laughs> for right. uh, what we can do about climate. But I will say I am a big fan of composting in all of its forms, and especially with the state of California passing its laws about trash last year, that it's now actually 
illegal to throw food scraps into the trash. So whether it's that green bin at home or you're like me and you've started having a worm bin and watching the worms convert everything into great fertilizer for your garden, um, it's, it's a fun thing to do. I love that because so often you try to tell, you know, your peers or, you know, children, you know, do one little thing. It makes a big difference. The ripple effect of that one little thing. So hearing that reinforced from someone like you, who really has just a broader knowledge of, of the impacts of certain things, because you've actually seen, um, you know, more of the earth than I think a lot of us have, and you've seen more of the solar system than most of us have. So even starting that little composting or just telling everyone to get worms <laughs> is, is I think a really valuable piece to just keeping it simple and, and achievable. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, as someone who is, you know, around young children, um, and just trying to encourage them to do the small things, which will make a big difference. And, you know, whether that's being kind or putting recycle and recycle bin and food scraps in the compost bin. I'm very inspired by the work you're doing. So thank you for inspiring me uh, as a person, a fellow alum, an educator, a mom. But um, I, I'm very grateful for you and everything you're doing. And again, again, just the time that you gave for me today and that our alumni community can hear, uh, hear and our viewpointers. Again, not to say that we don't have amazing women doing other amazing things in their fields of interest, but I thought... There's so much going on with space exploration. How great would it be to speak with someone? And then how surprising and wonderful it is that you were able to tie it back to our little planet. Because there is no planet B, you're correct. There, there is no planet B. It's, uh, I will tell you, doing outreach at Coachella is, is quite something. <laughs> well, again, that's a definite audience that we, that we as people, you know, um, they're, they're the future. Well, thanks so much for having me. I mean, Viewpoint provided a lot of opportunities that I'm really grateful for that have certainly shaped <laughs> the uh, unusual trajectory that I've had. And so I'm always happy to pay it forward. <laughs>